Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I am your host, Lauren Evans. I am flying solo this week, and I have a real treat for you. This week, we're going to do something a little different. It's the 4th of July week. I hope everybody had a great time celebrating our great country. So we're going to take, you know, a little break, but I didn't want to leave you all hanging. Coming up next is a 2019 speech by none other than Sue Ellen Browder that she did here at the Heritage Foundation on her book, Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. It is such a great speech. All these years later, it still sticks with me. I know you'll love it. So stay tuned and make sure that you go get Sue's book, Subverted, How I Helped the Sexual Revolution Hijack the Women's Movement. Here we go. Thank you, and I'm very delighted to be here and very humbled to be in this in this room today. Um, I am an old Cosmo writer, and I've come to the conclusion that the pro-life women's movement is the authentic women's movement of the 21st century. And how did I come to that conclusion? Well, I wrote that book. I did some research, and, I, and that, it, it was the book that I wrote, the research that I found, that gave me that conclusion. It all started in 1971 when I was at Cosmopolitan at my little navy blue desk, and I noticed something that was very obvious in those days but has now been forgotten, and that was that in those days the women's movement and the sexual revolution were two radically different movements. Betty Friedan had called Cosmo quite obscene and quite horrible. So how do and Betty Friedan obviously started the feminist movement, launched the feminist movement in 1963 with the feminine mystique. So how did we get to the point where so many young women today think to be free is to go to college, get a great degree, have a fantastic job, and be as sexually free as possible? How did those two radically separate movements ever get joined together? And I started writing that book to find out. What I discovered came as a great surprise. And I hope you'll see by the end of this talk that the real cultural battle we're fighting here is not against feminism per se. We all agree women should be treated with equal dignity. We all agree women should have the right to vote and be on a jury. The real battle we're fighting is the false joining of the sexual revolution with the women's movement. What, what we're, we oppose is not defending women's dignity but reducing a woman's personhood to her sex origins and her sexual desirability and her sexual urges and then pretending that this animalistic reduction of a woman's humanity is somehow a form of freedom. To end the culture wars between women and our nation, I think we need to separate true feminism from the sexual revolution in our minds and the minds of others. So let's start to do that by looking at the old feminism, the, fem the unifying feminist movement as it started in the 60s. Betty Friedan didn't even mention abortion and contraception in the feminine mystique. She defended the family, and she was deeply opposed to women being treated as sex objects. While Betty and other feminists were fighting in the 60s, when I was, I was there at that time, they were fighting for equal opportunities in academia and the workforce. Women were entering the workforce in droves and we were being fired for being pregnant. I was fired for being pregnant. Women in some states couldn't serve on a jury. Help wanted ads were divided in newspapers into help wanted male, all the good jobs, and help wanted female, all the low-paying jobs. So women were very united 
in wanting to put a stop to all this, and that's how the feminist movement became so popular. But it was a very unifying movement. But the sexual revolution, when I went to work at Cosmo, was an entirely different matter. Just as Hugh Hefner had reduced a woman to a sexual animal, the Playboy um, bunny, when he started Playboy, Helen Gurley Brown at Cosmo, this was the first sexual revolution magazine for women, had reduced women to a sexual animal, the Cosmo pussycat. She redesigned Cosmo as a Playboy clone and had even used Playboy's writers. So she, this, was, this was a female Playboy. Still is. <laughs> Helen had a favorite slogan embroidered on a little pillow she kept on a loveseat in her office, and the slogan said, good girls go to heaven, bad girls go everywhere. And at Cosmo, we turned all traditional values upside down. It was good to live with your boyfriend, good to sleep with a married man, good to take the pill, good or at least necessary to have an abortion to get ahead. And all of this in the 1970s, early 1970s, came as a shock to most Americans. A lot of single women, if a lot of women, single women were going to, met with, to bed with men on the first or second date, they surely weren't talking about it. You couldn't find these people. So that's why when I went to Cosmo, we made all those stories up about the sexual revolution. Betty, um, Helen Gurley Brown even had a uh, list of rules on how to make up stories and how to make up experts, experts who you could quote. So unlike uh, feminism, which was very unifying for women, the sexual revolution was a very divisive movement. You know, truth, beauty, and goodness unite. And what does evil do? It divides people. It separates us apart. So a Cosmo, we split sex from love. If sex is just for fun, if it feels good, do it. We split sex from marriage. It's okay to live with your boyfriend. We split sex from women from men. If you don't like him, just divorce him. And we split sex from babies. With the, take the pill, and if the pill fails, get an abortion. Betty Friedan, as I said, was so appalled by Cosmo, she called it quite obscene and quite horrible, and she urged women to boycott the magazine. So as I was, when I was at Cosmo, I was married with a child. That's, I knew the sexual revolution wasn't for me, but I thought that the women's movement was. What I didn't know was that behind the scenes, even before I arrived in New York City, abortion, contraception, and sex revolutions, false promise that splitting sex from love empowers women, had already been inserted into the women's movement due to the efforts of two men I had never even heard of. Larry Later and Dr. Bernard Nathanson, the two founders of NARAL, and now it's called NARAL Pro-Choice America. Later told Nathanson that if they wanted their abortion cause to succeed, they had to recruit the feminists. And they managed to do that. Larry Later managed to convince Betty Friedan to insert abortion in the women's movement, and we know the exact moment that it happened. It was on November 18, 1967, right here in D.C., in the Chinese room of the Mayflower Hotel. And this is all in the book. If you, buy, if you read nothing in this book but Chapter 5 that tells about that night and allows you to go into that room and see what happened, that will be more uh, telling than anything I can say here, actually. There were only about 100 feminists in the room that night. That was the now second annual convention, and they had all gathered to pass 
the, to vote for now's Bill of Rights. It's their political Bill of Rights they voted for in 1967 that still guides the feminist movement to a large extent today, but it's, it has been expanded. But one vote, they voted on eight rights that night, and six that passed were unanimous. One was a mother's right not to be fired to be for being pregnant. Another was the right of a working parents to deduct home and health care expenses on their income taxes. Another called for a woman's right to be educated to her full potential. So you see, this was all pretty reasonable stuff. We'd all agree with this. Only two rights that night um, created any uproar among these ardent feminists. One was the ERA. That's now been defeated. And the woman that walked out on the, on the ERA says, a woman's rights are indivisible. A human rights are indivisible. You can't separate them out. The other thing that created an absolute uproar that night was the abortion vote. Betty sprang that abortion vote on everybody at the last right, and it was, it was wild. People, it was, it was a microcosm of what we're still fighting today. These are feminists in that room. One said, I'm against murder. There was a big fight that night, and when, they, when the dust settled, only 57 people, 57 people had voted to insert abortion into the women's movement. And one-third of those ardent feminists walked out. These are founders of NOW, some of them, and resigned from NOW over the abortion vote. So at that very night, what does evil do? It splits us apart. So at that very night, we, we, the women's movement was split into two divisions, pro, pro-women feminists who were for abortion and feminists who were for life. And we're still fighting what happened in that night today in our culture. One-third of those women walked out and later resigned from now over the abortion vote. And that divisive plank number eight is the only right in NOW's political platform that we're still fighting over today. And why? Because it was inserted largely through deception and error through under the influence of two men most of us have never even heard of. But after that, that fight in the Chinese room, Betty Friedan, who was very good at, at handling the media, she was a magazine writer like myself. Magazine writers, by the way, have pretty much wrecked the country in many ways. <laughs> but... <laughs> But she, she knew how to handle the media. And she stood in front of the media on Monday morning after that big fight and she said she was speaking for, basically, here's the um, press release, 28 million American working women, the millions of women working, emerging from our colleges each year and mothers emerging from their homes to go back to work. Basically, she claimed to be, work, to be uh, speaking for all women in America when she was speaking for only 57 people in the Chinese room. And the Washington Post, the next day, they bought it. There there were no reporters in the room that night. So how could they know? They bought it, and this is what the Washington Post said. Now supports the furthering of the sexual revolution of our century. Now supports the furthering of the sexual revolution of our century by pressing for widespread sex education and provision of birth control information and contraceptives, and by urging that all laws penalizing abortion be repealed. And other reporters follow the suit on that, 
And what, so what started out as a very unified family feminist movement for working women and mothers was subverted and became a vehicle for abortion and contraception. So what happened to those women who walked out? Where did they go, those women who resigned from now? Well, one of them was Betty Boyer. She was an attorney from Cleveland, and she went back to Ohio. States of, Ohio is always a big state, and she founded the Women's Equity Action League, WEAL. I'm, I doubt that anybody's heard of it. Uh, in Cleveland, they hadn't heard of it. It, it was the pro-life family feminist movement that went forward. And what did, I, what did WEAL do? The pro-life family feminists at WEAL opened up academia to women. They forced newspapers to stop running help-wanted male and help-wanted female classified ads. They worked to get the Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978 passed. And they worked to get women's sports programs in high schools and colleges. And they lobbied for a law allowing women, a married woman to apply for credit in her own name. I'm not saying Wheel did all of these things by themselves, but now didn't even have any lawyers on staff at the time. And the, these pro-life family feminists are ones that won all, won all of these victories. By 1979, now had 100,000 members, and the National Committee for Life, which represents the pro-life family feminist movement, just one part of it, had 11 million members, 110 times as many. So what I'm saying here is the pro-life family feminist movement has the grassroots, it had the grassroots in 1979, and you still have the grassroots power today. And democracy doesn't grow from the, come from the top down, or at least it shouldn't. It grows from the ground up. And so you have the grassroots now, you continue to have the grassroots now, and I think if we proclaim that these women right here, all these women here, are the true family feminist movement of the 21st century, I think we can win this war. Thank you, my friends. Wasn't that just amazing? Sue is just an inspiration, and I'm so glad we took some time this week to listen to that. Stay tuned. We'll be back with a regular episode next week. And just enjoy the summer. It's hot, but sit by the pool. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.